You know, we have to be responsible for our life. I mean, you can't get away from that point. Real renunciation is in the mind, in the consciousness. It's it's a hundred percent, 24 hour, all day, every day position. This is my spiritual life. You know, we've got so much incredible education, you know, and material dimensions, all the science and all the advancement and technology of all types and whatever. But there's almost no real spiritual knowledge, like really understanding the truths about life. We start waking up and seeing things as they really are, rather than through the veil of illusion. Hey there, this is Ruben. I'm happy to have you here. Today we're going to look into responsibility in spiritual life. This is an episode we recorded a while ago, didn't get to publish yet, because we seem to have more recordings than then I have time to edit and, and get out to you guys. So, but but finally, we're gonna get this out there. This is uh, kind of like part one of this, this series. And the part two will be about what actual spiritual life, what, what that means. You know, people think that you have to go to India to be spiritual in some way. So that's something that we're gonna cover more in the following part. But today we're gonna look more into the idea of renunciation as of course, we need to find a, a, a balance between depending on the supreme will and accepting that and knowing that I'm not in full control, but also doing my 100% to fulfill my responsibility. So that finding that balance is what we're going to try to help you to do in this episode of today. This is episode number 40. In, in, my, in my life, the situation has, seems to have come up quite often where we and on when we have our classes uh situations that we'd like to you know kind of bring up into the episode of today which which is kind of like the the tendency of people to see spiritual life as something that doesn't require responsibility it's it's just like one or the other like you leave material life and you go to spiritual life and that means you leave the material responsibilities and taking care of that situation and you just like float off in some some other dimension kind of thing and and you know so we wanted to speak about that and the real meaning of renunciation yeah yeah it's, uh, yeah i've come across that many times myself and it's like I think people read the books and well some people anyway they read the books and they hear about some renounced yogi or some spiritual person who's a mendicant and just wanders around and yeah. you know lives all society uh, you know getting his food and shelter where he can from whoever will provide it yeah and so he doesn't have to work. He doesn't have to, you know, be obligated to to families and jobs and et cetera, et cetera. And so it's kind of like a, a material form of liberation for him. Hmm. I mean, that's the concept I think some people get from this. They're, they're not responsible for 
for anything. Right, they right, just right. they just do whatever they want, and I've seen it happen in ashrams and temples where people live there, basically with that same mentality, like, oh, I don't have to pay rent, you know, I don't have to work, I got a free place to stay, I got free food to eat, and my payment is I have to do a little work around the temple, or I got to, you know, do uh, something in regards to this whole movement or this this action that's taking place. I can chant a little bit. I can do my meditation. And it's yeah. like, uh, yeah, like spiritual dependency on, <laughs> exactly. on some institution exactly. or something. So it, it breeds, you know, it has that... that danger of breeding irresponsibility mm. you know mm. and this is this is not really spiritual life you know i actually have also known of some cases like you know husband wife and maybe two kids but the husband has the concept from reading the books and so on that he doesn't have to work, you know, that God will provide. You know, all he has to do is chant or meditate or whatever, you know, the process is that he's following. And somehow God will provide. No. And no. so, of course, no money comes in. So they can't pay the rent. You know, they don't really have proper food for the for the family, they don't have any facility if something goes wrong, you know, no backup, no, oh, no anything. Yeah. And so the wife, you know, and, and the, the husband is just so stuck on this, he basically refuses to work and support the family. So you know, the wife eventually has to go to work herself and take the responsibility on her shoulder. And then the husband comes to the wife and asks her, oh, can I have, you know, five bucks to buy gas so I can go do this? Or, you know, can I have $10 to do whatever? In other words, now he's exactly. he's dependent on the wife. Exactly. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's really, you know, just not spiritual life. but. You know, they may think, "Oh, but this is spiritual life." But yeah, I, I, I've seen. But but that's kind of like so. <laughs> you're you're basically moving over your responsibility to someone else, and then when the situation goes down that something unexpected does happen, you need that support. Then you're dependent on that person. But I mean, in that sense, you're damaging that person's spiritual well-being as well, aren't you? Because you're you're like putting that person in a situation where they have to support your lifestyle, which is not really a spiritual lifestyle, but a kind of like a pseudo spiritual lifestyle where you're, you know. Yeah. 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 And that's why these, these ashram, for instance, are, you know, if it's, it's a proper ashram, like running, run by, you know, our spiritual master or something in the past, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity for, you know, fully engaging in all day, 
you know, activities of hearing and chanting and practical service and, you know, being properly trained and guided, etc. But, you know, all too often it morphs, you know, with certain individuals into this welfare dependency yeah. state. Yeah. And then it's counterproductive, you know, so sometimes those those things are just disbanded, so to speak. Okay, you go out on your own. You get your own job. You get your own bank account. You you get your own modes of transportation. Or take care of your own personal needs. It's your responsibility now. We're not going to do it for you. No. You know, and I've seen people that came from, you know, those dependency ashram situations to real life, so to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> taking care of their own, you know, material situation, actually just quit chanting, you know, or, or quit, mm-hmm. you know, engaging in spiritual life. Because they when you took away the, the free, the free goodies, <laughs> you know, then they, they kind of didn't have the interest that they pretended to have you know they just okay then what's the point you know (laughs) and then they just became like you know non-interested yeah you know there's there's actually a story that about that i heard about uh yeah it was a testimonial about a woman who was writing a review on a so-called spiritual book on amazon that her her husband became so detached from from reality. It's, uh, yeah, it's here. I'm just kind of paraphrasing. Uh, by following the living in the now philosophy, he got so detached from reality that it kind of destroyed, basically destroyed their marriage. <laughs> you know, he was just drawn away and couldn't couldn't function in the. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, just, you know, some of the dangers of not having proper training, proper guidance, and proper sincerity. Mm. You know, you know, the spiritual master can train the student or the disciple properly, but if the student or disciple is not, you know, qualified, not a bona fide, student or disciple, you know, then they can just take this as a, like we just said, a, an opportunity to get lazy yeah. and irresponsible. And you can't blame the spiritual master. Some people try to put everything on somebody else. But, you know, each person's an individual and, you know, they take either the golden opportunity that they may have to actually have this this access to true spiritual life you know and mm. and the the best you know care and guidance they could possibly have or they can take the same situation and exploit it and you know actually become offensive and it it becomes you know a great source of damage to them yeah spiritual damage So it's, it always comes back to the individual. You know, we have to be responsible for our life. I mean, you can't, 
get away from that point. But but how do you find then the uh, the balance? Because you were saying that that you know if you come, you you think that you should not you should be reliant on a supreme power for your sustenance and your life. And we're told that we should we should you know if we want to progress spiritually, we I guess it's a general idea that people also know that you know we we give up the fruits of our activities. We we we're not attached to the results. But at the same time, you have to take some responsibilities to find that balance, I guess, you know, not just saying, well, it's up to someone else. I'm, I'm just going to hope that it falls on my head. And <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that advanced stage of life in the Vedic system is known as sannyas, and it's, it's, it requires a very high level of spiritual qualification to, to actually be in that oh yeah it's called the fourth order of life or the renounced order of life and so you you do give up you know all the methods to get your material requirements and everything but the other side of that is you have this incredible spiritual knowledge and and spiritual you know, ability to give that to people. So that is that is your offering to society to enlighten them spiritually. You know, you are the source of this truth, not the source, but you are the medium of this truth. And so they, in turn, gladly give you your support to take care of your material needs and so on. But this is not connected with friends. You've left, you know, you're not married, you've left family life and, and all these, you know, situations that do require you to provide, you know, material necessities for the family and and et cetera. So you're now in the status of life where you're not involved in that. So your only real requirements are just the basic needs to keep body and soul together. So that's not very much, really. You know, you're not trying to achieve any material goals and success and and so on. But you're giving, giving, giving this spiritual guidance and light and knowledge and, you know, training and and access to the Supreme Lord. Yeah. And so you get a little food where you do and your shelter where you do, and you've kind of reduced your needs to a minimum. And, but that's not in the system we have today. See, this this is prior times, previous times when society, the whole society was, you know, following the Vedic system. And so these people in these renounced orders of life were actually revered as as the saints that they were, Mm. you know, if they were truly qualified. I mean, some took advantage of it even in those days. And it's, it's stated in our scriptures that they just become a menace to society. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I can just see that. a burden on society. Yeah. 
And some people, again, just as we were referring to earlier, would see it as a good job. All I got to do is just, you know, wear these certain clothes and pose as this, you know, <laughs> renounced person, and society will take care of me. Yeah, but you that's... Know? So they're described as charlatans, you know, or pretenders. Hmm. I mean, it's it's the same. With, it's the same in terms of religion, you know. You or so-called religion, you you know, you join the group and you adopt their way of thinking and their way of viewing things, and you can you can just set, like you can just sit back and relax, and they'll do it, and and you get sustained, and as long as you kind of adopt these ways of living, like it's a group thing. Yeah, yeah. So and then you're on. So there's many dangers, but the true renounced person, the sannyasi, etc., you know, he he is totally fearless, you know, he's not afraid, oh, I'm going to starve, what's going to happen if this, what's going to happen if that. He actually is truly dependent on the mercy of the Lord, and, you know, he will always be taken care of by the Lord because he's, you know, he's in the, the consciousness of I am the eternal servant of the Lord and I'm donating everything I have to his service and mm. I'm in his hands kind of thing. Yeah. But that same consciousness can be had in, you know, Householder life, it's called, when a person does have family and so on. Not that they renounce their jobs and work, but they they still have the same understanding. You know, my success or my failure in business or my success and failure and, you know, material necessities and whatever that is going on. It's all dependent on the Lord anyway. I take responsibility. I do what I have to do. But... I know that the fruit ultimately will be given or withheld by the Lord. It's just, it's the same consciousness, but it's mm. it's not like oh I don't do anything. Mm. You know they do what they need to do to take care of their material obligations. Yeah. You see, but if something goes wrong, they don't freak out. Well, yeah. yes, that's just. Uh, yeah, yeah. My karma, this is, you know, the will of the Lord, etc., etc. So they're not irresponsible in any way. But they're still, and everybody's ultimately dependent on the Lord. Yeah. You know, and, and, everybody. And, and, and you're doing, I guess that's, you're doing your 100%. If you're doing, you know, of what talents and capabilities that you have been given. And if you give... 80 that's you know and you don't use the rest it's kind of towards the lazy side and if you use you know if you if you try to use more than what you actually have that's that's kind of over endeavoring as we would call it yeah i mean so you have to find that yeah mm -hmm. yeah it said uh, you know everything is owned and controlled by the lord you know, and everyone has their individual quota you know, and for some people that quota is a lot, and some people that quota is not very much. 
but everyone should accept what is his quota and not more knowing well to whom everything belongs. So, you know, if you get what you get, but you want more, <laughs> and you got to over endeavor for that, you know, yeah. and struggle and so on, you know, that's seen as like, well, you know, you've got your quota, but you're trying to now get more according to your desires. And, right, right. and if it comes easily, See, we're we're taught that you should, you know, get what comes easily, and if you've got to over endeavor for something, then that's not how it should be. Mm -hmm. So we, the idea of struggling so hard to get a lot of material goods, you know, some people have to struggle very hard to just get the basics. Mm -hmm. you see? But in other words. The philosophy is work hard and get a lot mm. in the modern world today. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's counterproductive and that's that's not according to the scriptural mm. teachings. Yeah. You know. Mm. Take what you get and use it as much as you can with with, you know, the right consciousness in the service of the Lord. But, yeah. but but then, but then what is the true understanding of uh, well well because there's a point that I would like to bring in which is that I guess that's related because you're saying many people see these spiritual teachers or they see in some previous times some yogis doing severe austerities and that is seen as spiritual life and when we speak to people you know they often say they ask us they ask me like also oh, you when did you go to india to learn this and and they dream about themselves wanting to go to to india and to i i i feel that it's the same like that dream of uh that kind of renunciation but then i'm wondering also like what's the real meaning and importance of renunciation and 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 why is that what's the thing about <laughs> why do you have to go to india oh, to <laughs> you know <laughs> like I say, real renunciation is in the mind, in the consciousness. You know, and so if we read Ayurvedic history about some of the greatest kings, and there's been many, you know, saintly kings called Rajarsis, and they had kingdoms, you know, and in those times, the king was the king of the planet, you know, like Maharaj Yudhisthira, Maharaj Parikshit, and so on. So their accumulation of wealth was vast, unbelievable, you know, but they were not attached to any of it. You know, it was just the position they were in. They were great devotees of the Lord, you know, so they used their power and their wealth, etc., you know, in service of the Lord. They took care of the citizens, you know, meticulously not only materially, but spiritually. And they saw their position is to, to protect the citizens, you know, from being overpowered by lust and anger and greed and to, to teach them to uphold all the spiritual values and to tell them the real goal in life. I mean, to guide society towards spiritual development, see. 
And so the citizens actually saw the king, who was incredibly powerful and incredibly wealthy, as their father, their caretaker, their well-wisher. And they gladly donated 50% of what they had to the king, not because he went out and forced them to do it, but because they knew this is, you know, the standard and this was their desire. And so the wealth came in, but the wealth went back out, you know, to the citizens. And so it was an ideal situation for everybody. But spiritual training was present in their societies from birth till death. Hmm. And people were trained, you know, who they were, that you're not the body, you're spirit, soul, what the purpose in human life was, and so on and so on. Hmm. So a no. very different situation. And in that society, so the point, I guess, is the king was renounced, but at the same time, externally, he was incredibly wealthy mm. and powerful and respected and so on. I mean, and you can read the histories of kings like, you know, Maharaj Bharat. He was young and he had beautiful wife and children and he was one of these saintly kings. You know, but he was not attached to any of that. And then at a certain point when he saw that he could turn his kingdom over to, you know, a qualified person to take that position, he left the whole situation and went to the forest, you know, to perfect his spiritual life, you know. And the same with Maharaj Yudhisthira, as soon as Maharaj Parikshit grew old enough to take the throne, he also left, you know. So this is, this is a whole different consciousness. So they, they, the point is they were oh. renounced mm -hmm. in that position of king. Mm. They weren't attached to any of it. Mm. So they didn't rule with greed and lust and you know, envy of someone taking their position and mm. all those common uh, dangers, mm. you know, of, of, of power, you know. What do they say? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. But it wasn't true for them because they were not materialists. They were not, you know, trying to find their happiness and so on there from their position and, and from mm. their position i am the king mm. and i can squash you i can control you i can dominate you you must listen to me yeah. but these are bygone days this is this is not now we live in kali yuga now when all those ideal you know situations that we read about they're not available now. Mm. So that's why in this Kali Yuga, the age of quarrel, chaos, confusion, you know, where lust is so dominant and so 
controlling, you know, and our intelligence and minds and senses are actually, you know, the repositories and sitting places of lust and, you know, which also translates into anger, etc. See, that's the reality of today, you know. So to try to be, you know, like it was in the past, now, it's, it doesn't work. So we're not, we're told don't do those things. One of the things that's forbidden in Kali Yuga is to take sannyas. See, for, you know, a person to try to become renounced and be these, you know. So to to follow the guidelines is to chant the holy names, see, and become attached to the holy names and service to the Lord in whatever capacity you find yourself using, like you said, your talents, your abilities, mm. you know, your mind, your intelligence, your body, mm. in God's service, you know, and service comes in many different ways, you know, like in household or life, your service, you know, to provide, you know, material and spiritual well-being for your family. You know, that's what your position is. And for the mother to raise, and, and the father too, but the mother, for instance, to raise, you know, the children, you know, with knowledge and understanding and guidance toward, through, you know, devotion to the Lord and teaching them they're not the body. That's devotional service. That's her responsibility. That's her position. And the fathers as well. They both have their individual positions and roles to play in raising the children. But, 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 but yeah, again, so that's the point we're getting back to. Like that is actually, that in, in that they're taking responsibility. They're taking those, assuming those positions. And, and that's spiritual life. It's, no, it's, it's a 100% 24-hour all day, every day position. This is my spiritual life. You know, yeah. Like a mother who takes care of the child 24 hours a day, you see. It's, that's her life, really. I mean, yeah. you know, mothers have that inclination, you know, more than fathers. And so that's her responsibility, and she, she's fulfilling that you know, then she's fulfilling her duty. And if she's got this spiritual knowledge and taking it as her spiritual life, her spiritual duty, her spiritual responsibility, then that becomes her spiritual life. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trained, you know, for instance, in, in our system, you know, the spiritual master is the teacher. He's the one who trains us. He's the life coach, so to speak. <laughs> and he trains us in, in, in knowledge and in truth. He tells us all the things that we should receive and try to understand and implement in our life. You know, and he, he teaches us a life of, full responsibility, 
you know. I mean, without the spiritual teacher, good luck, you know. You read this book, you read that book, you hear another person's view, yeah, another yeah, person's yeah, yeah. angle on it, just like the person who was you were just referring to it was so absorbed in the be here now philosophy that it basically destroyed, you know, the family. Yeah. You know, and so there's many, many people posing as teachers and there's many, many philosophies that, you know, may attract a certain person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you have a true teacher, then he doesn't allow you, if you, you know, follow as you should, to fall into these traps, you know. Like some people think you have to go to India to, to find a guru. You have to yeah. go to India to yeah. Yeah. really advance spiritually. Yeah. <laughs> India is where it all happens. If you're thinking in the yoga terms, yeah, you know, yeah. oh, the real spiritual people and the real gurus and and the real, you know, everything spiritual is Indian. <laughs> India, you must go to India. And like you you referred to earlier, people ask all the time, oh, you must have spent a lot of time in India, you know, or. Who was your Indian teacher, or on and on it goes, whatever. And uh, why? Because that's the image that's been presented. Oh, the only gurus are the Indian bodies with, you know, certain clothes and certain, you know, features. You know, they look a certain way and they speak a certain way and they have the aura and whatever. See? But that's just, you know, another facade. It's just part of the illusion. There may be a true teacher, you know, in that position of Indian body. Of course, the Bhaktivedanta Swami, who brought all this knowledge to the West, was, you know, born in India, trained in India by his spiritual master, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But does that mean that nobody but Indians are qualified to to have this knowledge and pass it on. In fact, his teaching was the opposite. He came to the West and he gave everybody the same opportunity to become, you know, realized in this, this pure, pure spiritual consciousness, take this pure process and apply it to their lives. Let that process purify them. He taught true bhakti yoga, true spiritual life. You know, and uh, so it's it's just part of the illusion that a lot of people are in. Yeah, you know, because there's a lot of people just waiting for a Westerner to come there. You know, because yeah. Westerners represent yeah. easy targets. They got they're pretty naive and gullible, and they they represent money. <laughs> And they represent prestige. Oh, I have so many Western followers, you know, and so on and so on. And so if you go to India with, you know, your eyes like, okay, where's it all at? You know, somebody will snap hey. you up. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and uh, 
So yeah, it's 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 just you know false understanding. You know, it's based on the body. Oh, you got to be Indian. That's a bodily identification. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's just part of the illusion. We're all the bodies. You know. Yeah. When none of that is true, we're all spirit souls. And so there's many, many pitfalls in spiritual life. Mm -hmm. This is a, this is a funny story. What time is it? Yeah, this this is a funny story. I was year, many, many years ago. I was in Australia, and uh, so I was going to give a public lecture. And it had been quite well advertised. This was in Queensland, and it was quite well advertised. And so I went to the, the hall where it was going to be presented. And, you know, I was early, so I just sat, you know, in a, you know many chairs. I just sat down on one of the rows of chairs beside with a friend of mine. And people were coming in, coming in, coming in, you know, and... The, the table where I was going to sit was empty, you know, with the microphone. And so there was a couple. They were in the, probably in their 50s. And they came and they sit, sat right in front of me. And so people are coming in and, you know, they were talking to each other as a husband and wife, or I guess. And so anyway, the wife said to the husband, oh, I wonder what part of India the speaker's from. And the husband said, yeah, yeah, I wonder. I wonder where he's from in India. You know, I just heard that. I mean, it was something that I, I kind of just smiled to myself. You know, so it came time, everybody's there, and I was invited to come up and speak. And, you know, when I got up from right behind them, you know, total white guy, you know, <laughs> Westerner, and walked up there and sat down. And they were quite like surprised. They were like, "Wow, this isn't what we expected." <laughs> they were expecting somebody to come out from the back with robes and whatever. I don't know exactly yeah. what they expected, yeah. but probably, yeah. you know. Yeah. But anyway, it just goes to show that's the idea, you know. <laughs> that. I hope they listen. I don't know if they did or not. I can go for further with it beyond that. You know, so it, no matter what position we are in life, knowledge is very, very important. You know, and that's unfortunately in great, you know, lack right now. It's very little real knowledge among people in general about it anything really about life. You know, we've got so much incredible education, you know, and material dimensions, all the science and all the advancement and technology of all types and whatever, but there's almost no real spiritual knowledge, like really understanding the truths about life. And it makes for a very difficult situation for everybody, yeah. you know, yeah. externally, internally, uh, all the, the 
disturbances in society are a product of this. And uh, no. No. on and on. So I got to kind of, that's why you and I are, you know, having these podcasts is kind of give people a, a little bit of information about other points of life. And, uh, you know, just go through your day with this understanding you're the eternal servant of the Supreme Lord and trying to offer what you're doing you know, as, you know, an offering to him and, you know, that's doesn't look very spiritual to many people. It may not look spiritual at all. You, know, you may be going to the factory and working eight hours and, you know, coming home and dirty clothes and <laughs> tired body. You know. But you may be, you know, on a very high spiritual level. And the other guy's sitting around, you know, you know, in the twilight zone. <laughs> Just in some illusion. You're still conditioned by material nature. Mm-hmm. You know, that mode of goodness, mm-hmm. like you say. And some of these people may not even be in the mode of goodness. You know, no. it, it may be no. pseudo-goodness. They may be completely in the mode of passion, struggling with all of that. Or, yeah. You know, and because yeah. they have no real knowledge, you know, there's also the influence of ignorance there as well. Yeah. You know, many yeah. people in these so-called advanced levels still think they're the body. Mm. Mm. You know, I mean, or they think I'm not the body, but I'm God. (laughs) Well, that's ignorance. You know, that's that's not real knowledge. So yeah, still controlled, still controlled. You know, but the mode of goodness, you know, if guided in the mode of goodness, can lead to pure goodness. You know, yeah. real, yeah. you know, spiritual life. That's true. Yeah, and if we apply this process, you know, the hearing, the chanting, you know, this purifies us. This is the this is the ingredient that's necessary. It's that purification is what makes it so we start acting as who we really are. You know, spirit souls, part and parcel of the supreme soul. That's the truth. That's the eternal truth. And the purification of the illusions and and the, you know, the coverings of material nature makes it so the sun of truth, the dawn of light actually appears in our consciousness. We start waking up and seeing things as they really are, rather than through the veil of illusion. Mm-hmm. So we can't, you know, do it mentally and philosophically. It takes the purifying agent, and for the age of Kali Yuga, that's the mantras. You know, that's the given method. That is the austerity. You know, that is the sacrifice. 
of the Kali Yuga, mm -hmm. you know. And so we're always encouraging people to, to take that process, take this easy process, you know, and add it to your life on a regular basis. So that is the recommendation of Lord Goranga, the latest incarnation of the Supreme Lord himself. This is his formula for success, formula for a real happy life. Mm. Mm. And so we, we can't do it just through, you know, external movements or playing a game or, you know, a certain, you know, philosophical opinion that we may have or whatever. See, we have to take the medicine as prescribed. And we're not the doctors, we're the patients. <laughs> and the doctor is the Supreme Lord. Lord Goranga is the supreme physician to cure of our mental, physical, material disease. And the spiritual master is his assistant, his representative, his on-hands practitioner. And, yeah, so our responsibility is to chant the holy names. Our responsibility is to please the Lord. He says the thing that's the most pleasing to the Lord is to chant my names. You see? But that also doesn't mean, oh, you just sit around and chant all day and don't do anything else. <laughs> you know? Okay, well, if you go work, I'm just going to sit here and chant. You know, that's the same thing again. You know, that's just going back to what we were talking about. You know, take it into your responsible life everywhere you go, everything you do. And then you'll have the right approach. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I think we should chant them. <laughs> <laughs> so, that being said, let's chant a little bit. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Goranga Haribo. Okay.
<laughs> right. So that's chanting, that's kirtan, that's the purifying agent. <laughs> anybody can do it so easy, so simple, so attractive. Yeah. <laughs> A lady came to our <laughs> kirtan yesterday, our meditation class, music meditation class yesterday. And she, she brought a she showed me a picture. I, I think she's she must have made it, or at least a text by herself. So to the left there was a black horse. That's kind of like this drawing horse, kind of like a unicorn, but without the horns. Anyway, completely black and white. And to the right there was one that was full of colors and lively and you know happy. And then underneath she said, 
she, she wrote like before and after kirtan <laughs> oh. yeah. so. there you go somebody who's realized this on their own okay so thank you Balakia. thank so, you for for your thank time thank you very much ruben and well yeah we thank everybody who may join in and you know watch the podcast i hope I hope, you know, you get some little little treasure that you can take with you. Thank you, Valkia. Thanks for your time. Haribo. Namaste, Haribo. All right. Now, if you have anything that you're wondering about this, anything that we can make more clear to you, then as always, I'm really, really happy to hear from you. You can answer to our emails if you get our email emails very spontaneously now and then from our email list. That you can subscribe to as well, but, you know, you can leave your thoughts and comments by replying to that. Um, uh, someone else asked about how to donate if you'd like to help us. And you can do that via Patreon. That's like a mini donation based website thingy. Uh, the link is available on our link tree or uh, on our website breakingtrail.life. Yeah, that is a domain as well. <laughs> Special one. Um, so I'm going to leave you there uh, and hopefully get back to you in the weekend if you're listening to this already you know early in this week uh with the following episode on what spiritual life actually means so now i'm just hoping that you will uh you will be inspired and be able to be true to yourself and dare to break trail <laughs> <laughs>